Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. We have to be our brother's keepers, our sister's keepers. And we have to reach out to each other, to forgive each other, to let the light of our good deeds shine for all, to care for the sick and the hungry and the downtrodden, course to love one another, even our enemies, and treat one another the way we would want to be treated ourselves. It's a message that grounds not just my family's Christian faith, but that of Jewish Americans, Muslim Americans, non-believers, Americans of all backgrounds. It's a message of unity, a message of decency, and a message of hope that never goes out of style. It's one that we all need very much today. Hello and welcome to episode 180 of That's What She Said. I am recording this as one of my final acts of 2018 so that it's all geared up and ready to come to you in 2019. And... I've missed you. I haven't recorded a podcast episode in about a month. And that's actually been like, oh, it's been tricky. So I made myself uh, come up with a bunch of them. There's a series coming up of six. This is part one in the voice series. And I think you're going to dig it. So before I hop in with the voice series, this is charging what you're worth and your work and all that good stuff, all sorts of conundrums to start the new year. uh, I just wanted to let you know about a new thing I have. And this is a fairly small thing. This is just if you head to kristenkalp.com slash podcast, uh, you can now leave tips in the tip jar for anything uh, $1 USD or more, just in case you really enjoy an episode or a thing that you try as a result of the episode makes you money and you're like, I don't need to buy one of your books or classes or whatever, but I just want to say thank you. That's what that's for. Um, that keeps Neville in treats, that keeps me in coffee, that keeps uh, the world going, and that um, bolsters my faith in humanity the whole time. Because it's, we will talk about this in a much later episode, uh, but it's tricky to make a thing that is free, quote unquote free, that actually takes a lot of your time, a lot of your resources, a lot of your best wisdom and a lot of your energy and uh, and then doesn't necessarily pay 
direct dividends. And so that's a tricky thing. And I was talking uh, with a friend about how to remedy that. And it was like, hey, we could do this, which is you enjoy a thing. You don't necessarily desperately need a class or a book at that moment, but you can leave a tip and then I will know that you are listening. Um, and I will know that you enjoyed that particular episode or just in general, you can send me a note afterward. I would love that. And if you're like, Kristen, it's the new year. I have less than zero dollars please leave a review by virtue of the fact that you're listening. If you were even a tiny bit excited to see the podcast back in your feed today, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people find me. It helps other people trust the podcast. And it generally helps grow the whole dealio so that more people can be helped via That's What She Said. Okay, so that's new. And we'll talk about that and subversive economics and the restraints of capitalism and what that has to do with blowjobs in a later episode. But right now, we're going to talk about charging what you're worth and your work. And this, of course, comes by design in January when everyone sits down and you now have all of your numbers from last year or in theory, you have some idea of your numbers from last year. You have some idea of how last year went. You have some idea of in this moment, whether you feel extremely overworked or whether you feel like, no, you hit a good stride. That was a good pace. You have a bit of perspective on the past year. And with that perspective, we're going to look at your business uh, in terms of pricing, but not in the way that you would think. Because if you hang around the interwebs for long enough, you're going to find shit tons of pricing advice for business owners, for creative people, for artists. And mostly that advice comes down to some form of, quote, charging what you're worth, unquote. And that seems much like white feminism. It seems empowering and amazing, <laughs> but there's actually a bit of danger to it. Um, I would argue that it's disempowering because you're when you say, I'm going to charge what I'm worth, you are unequivocally making your work the sum total of your worth. And those two things are not at all the same. So let's say you are a skilled clockmaker, forgive me if there's an actual term for that, living in 1823. In my mind, you are Swiss. <laughs> you are the sole clockmaker in your town. Those in your village rely on you to keep village activities synchronized to some degree. Your craftsmanship is unparalleled. It is stunning and gorgeous. You make a decent living from your skills. You provide an education for your children. You have a small bit of savings for your family. You are, after all, in Switzerland. And so your practical yet artistic skills directly translate to an increased chocolate supply for those you love. Cut to 2018. A skilled clockmaker is no longer necessary to keep the town operating on time. You, modern clockmaker, may be even more skilled than your 1823 counterpart. You may have trained longer and be more devoted to more challenging projects. You might have more gears, more moving parts, more time dedicated to the tiniest of details. Your work can be more beautiful than ever. You can be the most talented clockmaker in the world, and yet you may or may not make a living from that work in the modern age. Of course, you say, like, sometimes you guys are insulting to me. You're like, of course, this is obvious. The value of some work changes over time. Yes, that was easy to see. So let's cut to the modern day. You picked up a camera and you haven't really put it down since. 
you decided to start charging for your work a few years ago, and you're steadily raising your already profitable prices as you get busier and take care of more clients in your photography business. You're making a decent living from your work. It's not an empire, so we're not going seven, eight, nine figure, blah, 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 bullshit, but it's not stagnant. Your career is going somewhere that you find both fulfilling and challenging. And then your partner's work moves you to a new nation. You don't speak the language and you're unaware of how the photographic market works in Morocco, despite all of your attempts to Google such things. Your business shrivels up because you're unable to communicate with your clients, and those you do manage to find are exceptionally demanding due to cultural differences and some unspoken expectations that you do not appear to be meeting. Is your work suddenly worth less here? Are you suddenly less talented here? Are your talents any less sharp in this new nation? Should you give up on your artistic aspirations and take up a different job because you're making less money? Or... Do circumstances and locales dictate the value of your work to some degree? Of course, you say. This is obvious, Kristen. Again, I am just, I'm taking you somewhere. The value of your work is dependent upon many factors, some economic, some artistic, and some woven into the fabric of society itself. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. That's why tying your work, specifically the number of dollars it brings in, to the sum total of your worth is going to disappoint you. Whether you are living in 1823 or Morocco or just 2018, your work is not your worth. The value of your work can swing wildly from valuable to moderately valuable to a mere commodity over the course of a generation or even with the invention of a new device. Tying your value as a human to the value of your work, in particular only the financial value of your work, is setting yourself up for disaster. For example, cannabis farmers whose work has dropped in value by somewhere between 65 and 80% since 2015 and the legalization of marijuana. Not to put too too fine a point on it, but wild fluctuations are in play across the board all the time. To put it another way, your work does not equal your worth. For starters, your work pays dividends that are not monetary in nature. Does it bring you a sense of meaning, fulfillment, joy, anticipation, delight, or value in living? Those things aren't measurable in dollars. You will never happen upon a bevy of joy tickets and delight nuggets that directly translate to muggle currency. Also, M School, if you picked up on that muggle reference, M School is a seven-part podcast series to help you bring your magical self to business, and you can go and look for it at thechristinkelp.com. It's m-school. You'll find it. It's free. It's wonderful. Okay, so further, working doesn't make you more worthy. You're worthy of being on this planet, whether you make a shit ton of things or not, whether you own a business or not. Whether you sell 100% of your next product out in three minutes or not. And if there's some part of your asshole brain that's like, that's not true, remember the puppies. We can see that equating work with worth is absurd when we're talking about puppies. Like, no, I will not force a bevy of baby labradoodles to scout out dog life hacks and share them on Snapchat, hashtag life hacks. And it's even easy to see that with 19th century clockmakers. 
It's harder to spot the absurdity of all of this when it concerns our own lives. Equating our work with our worth is the water in which we swim. Capitalism pushes us to think we're more worthy of taking up space as we get thinner and produce more stuff, more babies, more art, more work, more food, more cleanliness, more money by any means necessary. Unless you're driving the economy through the exchange of currency, you're worthless to capitalism. Further, and of course, the hardest work you do in this lifetime is unlikely to be your paid work. Whether that's raising children, caring for a sick sibling or spouse, recovering from mental or physical illnesses, raising the average level of wokeness in those around you, or becoming a fuller, deeper, and more enlightened human being, the dollars don't come rushing in on the heels of those endeavors. So let's interrupt the work and worth equivalency. Let's talk about charging a fair price for labor. Let's talk about getting as much compensation for your work as possible, whether that involves currency or not. And let's separate our work from our worth clearly and once and for all. Here are a few questions to help you spot this slippery cultural thread in action because you're like, okay, separated, done. Work, worth, check. Here are places where it's sneaky and tricky and these questions will inevitably help. First question, where do I treat me and my business as one and the same? So what do I want to do? What do I, what does my business want to do? Your business is not you. It's a separate entity. It might have desires or um, ways that it would like to work that are different from what you in particular would like. So there are times when you're driving the business and there are times when the business is driving you. Um, I have taken on projects that I didn't particularly want to do that were very clear that this is the next thing that you're going to do. This is, it needs to happen. There is a book that is happening whether you like it or not. And so that's a, a place where, yeah, my business is not me. It's a separate entity. And if this is my, um, I shouldn't say business and work interchangeably there. The work uh, will tell you what it needs to do, but the work is not you. You are a larger phenomena than just your work. Two, what would it mean to charge a fair living wage for the work I choose to monetize? And you might be in a place where that is incredibly intimidating as a question to ask. And it might be like, yeah, I got this. But separating your work and your worth means that it's not about how many likes did I get for that? And that takes the place of a fair living wage. It's, I need to make a fair living wage if this is my full-time profession. And so what would it mean to charge that for the work that I choose to monetize? Three, am I trying to monetize my joy in any way? And is that necessary? I'm going to ask that one again because it's tricky. Am I trying to monetize my joy in any way? And is that necessary? So the answer to that might be that it's okay to make things that aren't for sale. Or you might have exceptional talents that you choose not to exercise for dollars. The example that I always use is that I am stellar at algebra and will you pay me to do that? No, under no circumstances do I want to get paid to do that. Likewise, I am phenomenal. Like I love having sex with all of my heart, but do I want to monetize that joy in any way? No, I do not. 
that is a very private thing for me. And so I don't want to take up any sort of sex work. I'm not judging sex work, just saying that we all have these places where like you might really enjoy cooking. Does that mean you want to be a chef? You might really enjoy writing. Does that mean you want to be an author? Capitalism says that if you're good at X, then you have to sell X. And that is not necessarily true. In fact, you might get more joy out of it because you are amazing at it and you choose not to sell it. So just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to sell it. Just because it brings you joy doesn't mean it has to make you money. Do I measure the success or failure of any given project by how much money it made? So in other words, do you take it into account all the other factors that are at play? Did it bring you fulfillment? Did it make your soul happy? Did it make people squeal? Did it make your kids go apeshit with joy? Did it buy you a vacation to a wonderful place? Did it help you to make a project with someone that you really love and admire? There are other measures, but do you solely measure the success or failure of a project on money? It's just a place to notice that it might be tying your work and your worth together. Likewise, do I measure the success or failure of any given year by how much money I've earned? I.e. 2018 was 10% more awesome than 2017 because you made 10% more money. It is extremely rare that that statement will be true. Often you don't know how much money you've made until the accountant has tallied everything up with all of the bookkeeping and rendered everything neutral in terms of bookkeeping. And so it's often like I had some wins, I had some losses, uh, some money came in, some money went out. <laughs> it's often not as clear cut as, well, that was a success and I know it was successful because I made X and X means successful. It usually doesn't work that way. Next question. Do I deem my work a failure when it doesn't make more money? And is that fair to the work I do? Do I deem my work a failure when it doesn't make money? And is that fair to the work I do? Hint, it's probably not fair. There are plenty of places where your work might be a spectacular success in terms of doing other things for you, um, having more fun, more, more joy, more delight. It might bring more growth. Uh, so a person that's growing will often have work that's growing and that's probably not your most profitable stage, the super mega sprinting growth stage. That is a place where you make enough money to survive until you reach a sort of stable growth point and you settle in for a while and then you keep going. So there isn't any way to say that didn't make money, ergo it's a failure. It's not, it's not never that cut and dry. It is rarely that cut and dry. And the more that you can see a thing can be a failure regardless of how much money it made or a success regardless of how much money it made, you're doing the work of separating your work from your worth and the value of your work from your humanity itself. Next question, what other forms of compensation does my work provide? Feeling good in your soul absolutely counts as compensation, by the way. Your, it might <laughs> words, they're hard. <laughs> um, your work might provide forms of compensation in terms of relationships with colleagues and coworkers, um, getting to do joint projects that feel really great, traveling, um, speaking, just generally exiting your comfort zone, um, having the best clients who turn into friends, 
um, having friends who turn into clients. It can go either way. Um, feeling as if you are here for a reason. So feeling as if your existence has a reason can often be tied to your work. Those are not monetary, but they are deeply, deeply, desperately important. Is there any work I'm no longer interested in making money from doing? It could be that you've been paid for something for a long time and you're like, okay, that's done now. Maybe it's time for one-on-one -on -one work to end and for group programs to begin. Maybe it's time for group programs to end and one-on-one -on -one work to begin or to be picked up again. There isn't any right or wrong answer here. You don't always have to scale. That is again, tying your work to your worth. There is simply the question, is there anything that you're no longer interested in doing? And then the final question, is there any work that has run its course and that can be pruned from your business? So is there something that you, when you think about it or consider it or plan for it, there's, it feels like there's a, uh, like a sort of gross energy around it, like boogers or snot, like it might be sort of gross feeling. It might be sort of sharp feeling. It might feel very hard where everything else feels sort of soft. Like if you imagine a wall that's covered in a very soft material and then there's like a sticky spot that's just gross, that thing, find the sticky spots in the softness and be like, okay, you can just cut those out and be done with them. And if you can't cut it out entirely, can you scale back? Can you create something else to take its space? Can you play with a sort of slider in business versus like this is on, this is off. Can you fade some things in, fade some things out and play a bit more? Those questions reveal spots where you might be giving money far more say over your life and your value to the world than it strictly deserves. Because ultimately the amount of money that a person makes is rarely the most interesting thing about them. Much of the power you have to change this way of being, this worth and work being equal thing, is in noticing where you've given money or productivity your power and then taking it back. What if you enjoy the work you make regardless of how much money it earns? What if you stop trying to monetize every aspect of your joy? And that might look, the very specific example that comes to mind uh, for me is people that do time lapses of their yoga practice, the yoga teachers that do that. Um, to me, that is such an intimate thing that it's like, oh, no, 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 please don't, please don't. Um, I would never, ever record my personal breathwork practice in some sort of hyperspeed to show it to you on Instagram. It's far too sacred for that. What if you give more time and energy to projects that feed your soul and give a touch less attention to those that are merely profitable? So again, we're playing with, there can be profitability, that's not a bad thing, but profitability plus soul is much more likely to form a sustainable business. So can you give a touch less attention to the things that are losing your energy, that are losing your attention, or that just are profitable but nothing else, that don't pay you in any other way? And what if you count the days in which you don't make a single thing, in which you just enjoy being alive as your most productive? Because shaping and exploring the contours of the interior continent is some of the most beneficial and rewarding work that any human can do.
And I'm going to repeat that because I can, because it's my podcast. (laughs) What if you count the days in which you don't make a single thing, in which you just enjoy being alive as your most productive? Because shaping and exploring the contours of the interior continent is some of the most beneficial and rewarding work any human can do. Okay, I want to close out this first podcast of 2019 with a poem, and it's called Let's Pretend. Let's pretend we live in a world where people matter. Let's pretend we live in a world where paying attention to the news makes a better life, not a more worrisome one. Let's pretend the last cubic inch of hope is sealed deep within us and will not die no matter what. Let's pretend the economy isn't driven by suits and tech, but by art and books and dance and kindness and helping more people come alive. Let's stop pretending we know better when we don't and listen even when we do. Let's give more money to charity than to China, to all the bits and bobs we don't need and won't use more than a few days into the new year. Let's make room for silence and stillness and the circle of space required to delve into life deeply, daily. Let's pretend we live in a world where we matter. What would you do if you pretended you mattered? Even if you don't believe you actually matter, which you do, can you just pretend you do? And what would happen? I am... um, so excited to hear your thoughts about this because I genuinely don't know um, what you'll think, what questions that will, this will raise, uh, what further discussion um, this will have, if there's anything further you'd like me to address or talk about or some conundrum that I'm not seeing because I'm me and can't see it. Um, so yeah, you can talk to me, Kay at KristenKelp.com or just KristenKelp.com and click on contact. If you would like to work with me for the entirety of 2019, I have two spots left in KK on tap. That's me, quarterly calls one-on-one, quarterly calls with the group, all sorts of activities, the workshop that's coming up that you're going to hear about in a few weeks, and all sorts of access to uh, archive goodies. You can get the details at kristenkelp.com slash tap. And if you enjoyed this, if you love this, if you were like, holy shit, this just broke my brain, it was amazing, or even if you just enjoy the podcast on a regular basis, kristenkelp.com slash podcast, leave a tip or leave a review, or both, at which point you're my fucking hero, and I will see you with part two of the voice series next week. Thank you so much, and happy 2019. As we've recovered from wars and natural tragedies, What I've seen is a big-hearted and hopeful and resilient people who look out for each other and who have each other's backs and who find strength in our differences and who keep moving forward knowing that we're all in this together.
satisfied mind Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly, scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.